And good evening, everyone. Good evening and welcome to the first installment in a series that's entitled The Bible in Seven Passages. In this series, the creator of this lesson, Mike Maslango, describes a future world where the Bible is no longer accessible, a future world where believers have memorized seven key passages in the scripture in order to keep the faith that leads to salvation alive until Christ Jesus returns. Would you join me in prayer, please? Our blessed Heavenly Father, we love you so very much. And Father, we pray that this scenario that we will present tonight, Father, to, to build upon the lesson as a foundation for, the, for this class, Father, would never take place would never take place in this country. But Father, we also thank you, Father, for the power of your word and how you intertwine it together, Father, so that we don't have to read the entirety or memorize the entirety or know the entirety in order to know the the basic and primary things that we need to be children of God. And Father, we thank you for blessing us with each and every person that's here today, Father. We pray that that all has been well in their day, Father, and we pray that the rest of the week will be a wonderful week and blessed by you as well. Father, these things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen and amen. In today's lesson, we will discuss the first and foundational passage that would eventually serve to denounce various false ideas that have been invented by mankind throughout history. They were invented for the purpose of denying God's word, denying who God really is. So what I need to do is set up the foundation and the scenario for this. So in this setting, in this setting this up, I should say, I want us to use our imagination. I want us to imagine a world where the Bible as we know it, has been taken away. It's perhaps the year 20, 50, 30 years from now. In that time frame, the government and other entities have entered into a scheme to undermine the facts, to undermine the accuracy and truthfulness of the Bible. These individuals have sought to limit its access. They have sought to shame and and condemn those who believe and use the Bible as their spiritual and moral guide for life in this world. All of this has been achieved gradually as leaders have completely embraced policies and agendas that were devoid of any Christian principles. They have formulated, they have established, they have disseminated a new narrative about life and death where God was not considered or even mentioned. References concerning God or the use of the Bible were removed from the the process of government and as a topic in many of our schools. Once this new life narrative had been set, it it was an easy matter to, rather for this think group to be unilaterally affirmed They did so with the use of message repetition. 
the repetition so that the lie could be swallowed whole as a diversion or emotional comfort. This scenario was neatly rounded out by the peddling of the lie to successive generations through a corrupt university system. Now, imagine 30 years of this taking place and, and arriving at a period in time where all the communication is, is digital bec- because there are no more paper books being produced. Now, with that said, there may be some cooks who have stashed books in their attics, and there are rumors of hidden bunkers containing thousands of, of original copies. But printed material is all created, it's all processed, it's all stored and transferred from a, a, a platform referred to as quantum memory storage units. And these units have been placed throughout the country. It is from here that digital information is distributed to a a chip that has been implanted or embedded in each citizen's brain, which is capable of displaying information that the eyes see as a hologram, and the ear can detect a sound. Most entertainment, news, and discommunication are transferred in this way. Now, one curious thing, however, all of this wizardly communication In all of this, no Bible is archived in that platform, the QMSU platform. This is because it has been, rather, it has been deemed fanatic and dangerous to the well-being of society and purged along with other controversial material and hate speech. In this regard, the embedded chips were programmed in such a way that they would not receive, transfer, or store any material taken from the Bible. (laughs) This would be a close version of the utopian and godless world dreamed by John Lennon, for uh, those of us old enough to remember him and his song Imagine. I remember it myself. Catchy little tune. The words... Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion, too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. A brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. In his lyrics, Lenin posts the idea that a peaceful, 
united and prosperous world or community of mankind will only be possible if society removes the idea of God and the practice of religion. His implicit suggestion is that belief in God and by extension the sustainment of religion by the single greatest resource of religion, which is the Bible, should be eliminated. The logic is simple. No God, no war. Which is to say no Bible, no God, and thus no war. Imagine. Imagine living in a world like the one I have just described. A world of dazzling communication technology. But one that has successfully managed to suppress access to and spread of God's printed word. In such a world, believers would need to carry with them the essential message of the Bible in an extremely abbreviated format, and that is simple human memory. Since I mentioned before, the embedded chips in human brains would not accept or retain any Bible verses. Of course, the average person would have great difficulty memorizing or accurately remembering the contents of one book in an attempt to uh, create and maintain their faith, let alone memorizing all 66 books that, contain, that are contained in the Old and New Testaments. Perhaps 66 books were impossible to memorize. What about seven? Not seven books, but seven passages. Could we find seven passages that express the essential features of all 66 books of the Bible? Seven passages that, if memorized, seven passages that, if remembered would keep the essential message of God's word intact in one's mind and one's heart. Seven passages that would explain God's overall plan of salvation. Seven passages that would accurately identify who Christ Jesus really is. Seven passages that would provide a lost sinner the good news by which his sins would be forgiven and his future glory revealed. Could all of this be done with only seven passages of Scripture? The futuristic scenario that has just been presented, we think about it today and we say, that's a bit far-fetched. Even though we can see how some of these things might threaten us, given the, uh, what's going on in our society today, and the question would be, who knows? Future generations of believers may have to struggle with similar issues in the decades to come. But in the meantime, allow Nathan and I, along with the help of Mike, of course, to use this imagined introduction to establish the basis for a brief study entitled The Bible 
in seven passages. If, for any reason, we had to memorize key passages in order to keep the overall message of the Bible alive in our minds, these are the ones that are are the seven that have been recommended. And why? Now, everyone in here can probably come up with seven other ones, but we're going to work with these today. And passage number one, which is where we're going today, passage number one is this, Genesis 1 at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, here's my question for you guys. What does this verse tell you about God? Here's the verse again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What does this verse tell you about God? Are you feeling energetic today? Could you do this for me? Thank you. I should pick you, shouldn't I? <laughs> so uh, obviously, the designer is greater than its you know its design, whatever it may be. So uh, that first question tells me that God is greater than His creation. Thank you. The first thing it says is that uh, God existed before heaven and earth. Thank you. Anyone else? Ah. Paula, raise your hand. There you go. God's all-powerful, and he can do anything he wants to. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you. So, if Genesis is the foundational book of the Bible... Then verse 1 of Genesis is the foundational verse of Genesis. Fact. The Bible is the most produced book in history. The Bible is the most read book in history. Therefore, Genesis chapter 1 at verse 1, where most people begin to read the Bible, whether or not they finished at Revelation or not, that would make Genesis 1 at verse 1 the most read verse in the Bible, in history, and in the world. Henry Morris, Henry Morris, in his book entitled The Genesis Record on page 37, says this. If a person really believes Genesis 1 and verse 1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, he will not find it difficult to believe anything else recorded in the Bible. What do you think about that? And that is so true. And I use myself an example on that. I remember having a discussion a while back of, about those, seven, those six days when, Christ, when God was creating. 
and there was discussion and people actually getting upset. Was it seven, was it seven, six days or 6,000 years or whatever? And, and, and we were having this discussion. That just said the rest. So you know what? I believe Genesis 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The rest of it, I don't care. <laughs> I really don't care. And my faith is not bothered at all. My faith is not lessened at all. Because I believe what it says, in the beginning, God to create the heavens and earth. I don't care if he did it in seven seconds, seven years, seven minutes, seven months, 7,000 years. I really don't care. Because in all of that, he says that God created me in his image. In the likeness of God, he created me, male and female, he created us. Then he blessed us and he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So does that stuff matter? No. But do, can you believe it? Yeah. Okay, then. So, this verse, then, does not try to prove the existence of God. It merely assumes it. It was written before any disbelief occurred. It was written before any false system of belief to reject God was developed. So it's not an attempt to prove self-evidence, a self-evident fact. This verse contains the information, when we look at it, necessary to refute all of man's subsequent false ideas about God and about the creation. It's as if God knew what fallen man, because of sin, would ultimately think of. He knew that he would think of ways to deny who God is. And so in the very first verse of this message to mankind, God preempts any possible false ideas about him. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So I want to share something with you. I want to share with you the seven main philosophies of mankind and how these different philosophies, when they are presented, you can always go back to Genesis 1 and verse 1 and refute every one of them. Genesis 1 and verse 1 refutes these seven main philosophies, starting with atheism. Atheism says there's no God. Genesis 1 and verse 1 says God created the heavens and the earth. End of that conversation. Pantheism. Pantheism says that everything is God. The trees, the rivers, the stars, etc. Pantheism is a form of thinking where people deify nature or give nature a force of his own. But Genesis 1 and verse 1 says that God is separate from his creation. He is not part of it. He existed first and then he created the world. He is before and he is after it. Polytheism. Polytheism teaches that there are a multiplicities of gods. The Greeks, the Romans, and nearly every ancient people, as well as many of the primitive people we see today in places such as Africa and South America, etc. All of these are polynists. But Genesis 1 and verse 1 says that only one God created all things. Materialism. Materialism is the basis of, for most modern thinking. It says that matter is eternal and that matter is the only thing that exists 
communism was based on materialism and, this, and, and the fact that they were trying to uh, distribute material equitably. But Genesis 1 at verse 1 says that matter had a beginning. At some point it did not exist and then God brought it into existence. Dualism. Dualism which is an ancient idea that was developed by Plato and later it was built upon by uh, Descartes, basically says that there are two powers that work in the universe, good and evil. And the interaction of these two is responsible for all of what we see. Hinduism also explains the beginning of the world as the interaction of two entities. But Genesis 1 at verse 1 says, or rather states, that everything we see was created by God, only one power. The Bible does account for evil, but evil is never at the same level as God. There is only one supreme supreme power at work according to Genesis, and it was manifested at the very beginning. In the beginning, God. Humanism. Humanism teaches that man is the ultimate reality. There is nothing higher or nobler than man. Humanism says that many good works are done to benefit mankind, and they are done because of people who hold to this philosophy. But Genesis 1 and verse 1 refutes this idea because it teaches that God, not man, is the ultimate being. Since he was there before man and that God is the creator of man and not the other way around. Evolution. Before I talk about evolution, I need to share something with you. A long time ago, when I was worshiping at South Anchorage, there was a brother, he was an elder, and his daughter was in high school, and she was having trouble in her science class because they were teaching evolution. And what they were teaching her in evolution, what the Bible was saying was not the same thing. So she was having problems there, and she was not doing well in that class. So her dad gave her the best answer you could give her. When you take that test, give them the answer that they got in that book, but don't change your faith. Don't change your faith. You got to get through school. So just give them the answer they want and move on. It's only, what, a semester, and then you can move on. So evolution, which is mankind's most prevalent idea today, says that the effect of time and chance interfacing with eternal matter is responsible for the universe. But Genesis 1 and verse 1 says that in the beginning, which is a specific time, God, not chance, created the heavens and the earth, not evolution. So we see now that Genesis 1 at verse 1 refutes seven main philosophies of mankind. Now we're going to see how Genesis 1 at verse 1 destroys, if you will, seven theories developed by mankind. Started with naturalism. Naturalism teaches that all is matter. But Genesis teaches that God created matter. Deism says that God created things and then he 
was not involved. Genesis comes on to describe God's involvement with mankind. Agnosticism, supposing that we can't know, is destroyed by Genesis 1 and verse 1 because we do know. The Bible tells us what has happened to create the situation that the world is in at this time. Monism, which teaches a Genesis without God in that everything just happened. Genesis, however, doesn't say that everything just happened. Genesis teaches that God made these things happen. Determinism says that all is fate. Genesis 1 doesn't talk about fate. That's F-A-T-E. It talks about a deliberate, willful action and that God created the world. Pragmatism teaches that whatever works is what is best. Genesis 1 and verse 1 says God willingly created something objectively, which is the creation. Nihilism, which basically says simple might makes right. Genesis demonstrates that God's might is what created the world. You ready? Here's your question. What is mankind's purpose for all of these philosophies and theories? To eliminate God. Okay. <laughs> uh, justification to uh, to allow us to get away with whatever we want. No boss, no leader. Yeah. I think it's because uh, people are scared for uh, what it means when, if God is real t- to them. If if they think He's not real, then they have nothing to worry about with what they do and what happens after. And uh, coming up with all these reasons why He wouldn't exist, kind of like eases their, I guess. just makes it easier for them to do what they're doing and be like okay with it I guess thank you no excuses no they excuses. do what they want to do and there's no excuses or accountability to take the power from God and try and place it on man mm. man's purpose <clears throat> I think is according to our standards People have more faith in Webster than they do the Bible. Guess what? Man wrote Webster's dictionary. Thank you. Anyone else? All right. Some of these uh, philosophies um, acknowledge deity in some way. And... uh, 
what we see with man-made religion is that it elevates man. And, and I think ultimately the purpose of anything outside of God is going to fall into that trap. Thank you. All right. Thank you for your comments. So then, as a closing point to that, all of these various human ideas are different ways to, as what has been said, deny the simple truth of Genesis 1 and verse 1 and replace it with a man-made idea. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So with that said, what I just read, what I want to do is look at this verse, but I don't want to start at in the beginning. I want to save that for last and work our way up to it. So we're looking at that verse, Genesis 1 and verse 1. We skip those first three words and we go to the next word after that, the fourth word, and that'd be God. And we heard this before because Tony was teaching on it not that long ago and so is Brother Bob Lawrence. The Hebrew word Elohim stresses the majesty and omnipotence of God. It is a plural noun, gods, but used in a singular fashion in this verse. It immediately suggests the dynamic nature of God, who is at the same time one, yet more than one somehow. So God, Elohim, created. The word created refers to the unique work of God. It is never used with humans as the subject. The word created means to call into existence from nothing. Man forms and fashions using the things that God has created, but only God creates. So God called into existence from nothing. So, I just got my paper out of whack a little bit here. Here we go. So the whole system of faith rests here. Either random particles, which always existed, generated by themselves a more complex, a more orderly universe, and then graduated to intelligent beings capable of applying and developing intelligence, i.e. the same matter that made a rock made you and me. But that's not the case, the point. God created all of this, and this is the choice we have to make. God called into existence from nothing the heavens. This does not refer to the stars. It doesn't refer to the planets, but to the space where these are situated. When we refer to our existence, we talk about the space, mass, time, universe, the basic components of our existence. These heavens would refer to the space component since the time component has already been introduced in the beginning. And the mass element is about to follow. There's no word used in the Bible to express the idea of space. And so the term heavens is used. 
as in the idea of expanse or universe. Oops, forgot that one. There we go. Now I'm right. So, God called into existence from nothing the heavens and the earth. Again, there's no word in the Bible that refers to matter. So Moses used the term earth or land, which describes the creation of the next basic component, which is matter, not yet shaped the form, but now in existence. So we get to the first three words in the beginning. It has been said that the universe is a combination of the elements of space matter and time science teaches us that that each of these elements is necessary for the universe to have a meaningful existence which is to say this right here if there is no space and time wait let me back up if there is space and time but no matter then the universe is empty and nothing happens If there is matter, which includes energy and time, but no space, there is no movement. Just one big mass. So space is needed. So time is the third and most important component because it permits perception of the matter and space. So Genesis 1 and verse 1 says that the element of time was called into existence along with space and matter to comprise the time-space-matter continuum, which we call the universe. Genesis says that this time-space-matter component was not yet formed. The following verses go on to explain how God fashioned the raw materials of creation into the universe. The universe that we now see. Some authors say that verse 1 is the, is the title of Genesis or a summary of events. But the summary of Genesis 1 is given actually in Genesis 2 at verse 4. Genesis 2 at verse 4 says, These are the generations of the heavens and earth when they were created. All the other sections of Genesis have no titles. Only these summary statements showing the end of a particular generation. So the first act on the first day of creation was what? It was bringing forth the building blocks of the universe. The time, the space, the matter elements. If you were, or if we were, if we were translating Genesis 1 at verse 1 into modern scientific English, this is what we will see. You could say, the transcendent, omnipotent Godhead called into existence the time, the space, the matter, universe. With this one verse committed to memory, all of these related ideas are stored as well. So in the next lesson, lesson two, we will examine passage two, 
which, will, which is actually Genesis 3, 1 through 24. Next week, we will look at Genesis 3, 1 through 6. And then we will go the following week, Genesis uh, 3, 7 through 24. And this, this passage that we will be looking at give us, gives us the overall theme and explains what the Bible is all about. We have about a couple of minutes, so are there any comments before we close up? Ah, thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you, everyone, for participating. Uh, and participation is being here as well as speaking. So everyone participated. Thank you for doing that. I hope you are planning to stay around for the devotional. I know it's something good that's coming and some good singing and some good praying. So thank you.